0: be thy will. Amen. Revelation chapter 2. Tonight let's talk about questions that uh, challenge the heart. As we enter into a new year, you know, people make uh, New Year's resolutions. and I don't always j- jump on sermons within, uh, um, you know, the holiday season, etc. But I think it's appropriate to think about uh, our our next days to come, but also to take an inventory of where we are today. Uh, so the first question tonight is, have I lost my first love? What I mean by that is not necessarily that I'm not coming to worship and I'm not serving God, but rather, am I still serving God with the same fervor that I once did? The church at Ephesus uh, had been in place now about 50 years by the time we get to Revelation chapter 2, and something had happened. They were doing great works for God, but through all the trials and tribulations of life, some of the members lost their first love. In verse 4, uh, the question is, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Why have you left your first love? What is going on in your life today that has caused you to lose your first love? Someone asked a question. Uh, let's go to Hebrews, please, chapter 10. Someone asked the question of me, you know, we're speaking of God, whether God exists, you know, do I still believe in God, etc. Oftentimes, the question that comes up, does God still exist? Or maybe at one time I believed in God, but I don't believe in Him any longer, or I'm struggling with my belief in God. The problem is, when we think about God, instead of looking to God, we often look to people. And we say, why would God allow? And then the list goes on and on and on. And the reality is is that what humans do on this earth has nothing to do with whether God exists or not. Have I left my first love? Spiritually speaking, wherever you were yesterday, in comparison, where are you now? Are you today spiritually stronger than you were yesterday? Or are you spiritually stronger? Weaker. Where are you? It's about taking a personal inventory. And the only one that can answer the question is you. Hebrews ten and verse thirty eight uh the, the, the church had gone through a lot of persecution and struggles and the forfeiture uh of their properties, their properties were seized. They were having a really, really difficult time. But do you know that even in difficult times God does not excuse us having a lack of faith? He still says you need to keep your faith in me. In fact, in Hebrews 10 and verse 38, uh, it says it in this way. It says, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I think the idea is looking at Jesus and wondering, back to Revelation, please, chapter 2, and wondering, what if Jesus shrank back? What if Jesus says, wait wait a minute, Uh, Father, if it be thy will, remove this cup. But if not, and then, and then he wavered in his faith as he went to the cross and didn't fulfill those prophecies that were spoken of about him. Brother, we'd all be lost. And so God says, I don't want you to waver in your faith. See, God's standard is not here. God's standard is here. Does that mean we're not going to waver in our faith? No, but God is saying the standard, the bar is high. Do not waver in your faith faith. So that means we have a responsibility, a personal, individual responsibility to ensure that we not waver in our faith. So where are you today in comparison to where you were yesterday? And then where are we going in our future? Where are we going in our future? We'll get back to that one in just a moment. Revelation 2 and verse 5. So verse 4, uh, this against you, you've left your first love. Verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you. And will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. So the church at Ephesus, God says, I'm coming. It's a judgment in time. But he says, I expect you to do what you used to do, and more. Today, where am I in my faith? Am I doing what God has empowered me to do yesterday? And now that I've grown a bit, Am I doing more? We're supposed to grow continuously in our faith, in the relationship that we have with our God. It brings me to Matthew chapter 5, a very familiar passage that we look at, and sometimes now, you know, some of those passages, we read in the Scriptures, and we read them so often that we just kind of discount them. Or maybe uh, we just, um, we get so comfortable with them that we forget the meaning and the depth of what God is trying to say to us. And that is, is your spiritual flame still lit? You know the little kid saying the song, don't let Satan blow it out. Is it has it grown dim? Is my light for Jesus growing dim? It, again, it's about a self inventory this, this evening. It's about looking into your heart and asking yourself the question, where am I today in relationship to where to where I, I should be? We we used to uh you know, kind of joke around as preachers, uh, uh, you know, as you go through school for many, many years. And eventually the song comes up, you know, Mama, don't let your children grow up to be cowboys. and But we kind of altered it a little bit and said, Mama, don't let your children grow up to be preachers. Because we waver in our faith. Because we know how church members treat preachers. So we say, we don't want our boys to grow up to be preachers. You know, God needs preachers. God needs teachers. God needs workers. Remember what he said about the harvest? It's it's not that there aren't people that want to hear Jesus or about Jesus. It's just not enough workers. Will you be a worker for Jesus in this year to come? In other words, wherever you were this year, next year, as the days go on, can you be that person that goes to the next step, to the next level in your faith? In verse 14 of Matthew chapter 5, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden unless you hide it. Right? I know that's not in the verse. I added that in there. It cannot be hidden. If you allow Jesus to shine on you and shine out of you and you remain that reflection of Jesus, you can't hide that light unless you choose to hide that light. I don't want anyone to know that I'm a Christian because I know how the world will treat me. Jesus goes on to say in verse 15, "No, Nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The idea is, let the world have a breath of fresh air through you. Bless the world by being that light. Give them some kind of hope, because you have that hope of Jesus in you. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to grow continually and constantly in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here's a question. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, please. Here's a question. How can I safeguard, how can I safeguard my faithfulness to the Lord? How can I do that? The Bible gives us the answer. Here's the roadmap, right? We, we talk about the five steps to heaven, and then there, there are these seven steps to keep us on the straight And narrow. It should be reviewed on a regular basis to remind ourselves of what it is that God expects of us. How do I safeguard my faith? Because Satan's coming. Satan is here. I need to safeguard. I need to keep Satan away from me. So, verse 5 says, Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self control. And in your self control, perseverance. And your perseverance, godliness, and your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. Here's this checklist. You know, I'm working on these seven things every single day. I have purpose every day. For if these qualities are yours, it says, you're neither blind nor short-sighted. This is uh, uh down in verse 8, I think it is. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither... Are uh, uh, unfruitful, um, useless rather, and unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from its former sins. Remember the deeds you did at first. Remember Revelation chapter 2? Remember the deeds you did at first. They've forgotten about that. And you've got to review in your mind over and over again, what is it that Lord, the Lord wants for me? What does he want me to do? Therefore, verse 10, brethren, be all the more diligent and more certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And so I'm constantly looking at this passage and asking myself, Lord, here's where I am to the best of my knowledge. But God, here's where I need to be. And the only way I'm going to get there is if I safeguard my faith. I don't want to go backwards. I want to go forwards. And then here's a beautiful passage. A beautiful passage within the context in verse 11, it says, For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly applied to you. what? A, what a, thank you, God, for supplying that to me. Abundance. Abundance. Then there's another passage we're going to add to this. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. So you have this, this idea, we're trying every day, In our our faith, right, we're we're adding self-control or morality, if you will, and self-control and knowledge. We're adding all this to our faith every single day. Brotherly kindness, Christian love. We're adding all this to our faith every day. And then we're safeguarding it in verse 12 by doing something else. Romans 6. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Look, don't let sin be your master. Right? Don't love sin, your sin, my sin, more than you love God. Don't allow sin to captivate your mind. Don't allow sin to take over your body. Instead, you need to master it. You need to be the one who's in control. Verse 13 says, And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, what God is saying is, stop. You have the power to stop. Whatever's keeping you from heaven, stop. Turn around. You be the master of your mind. Do not let sin, do not let Satan, do not let people become masters of your mind. Allow God to control your mind. Know how to stop. Don't go too far. Verse 13 again. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be a master over you, but you are not under law, but under grace. Stop sinning. Remember the woman in John 8? They brought this woman caught in the very act of adultery. And what did Jesus say to her? Stop sinning. Go your way and sin no more. Stop. You have the power just stop. You don't have to blame anyone. There's no reason to make any excuses. There's no reason to say, the reason I'm weak is because. No, just stop. The mind is a powerful, powerful tool that God has given to us. Turn over to Genesis chapter 28, please. Genesis chapter 28. Now here's what uh, the proverb passage tells us. It tells us in Proverbs chapter um, um, 29 and verse 18, it says, where there is no vision that people perish, this is in the King James Version, in the New King James as well. I believe it says the people are unrestrained uh, in other versions, but you got to have some kind of goal. And, and so I ask you today, when you, when you set your goals for your future uh, in Christ, your future in the world, do you have any spiritual goals? Any at all? I mean, you know, we, we set a financial portfolio together. We, we have financial goals and we have, we have work-related goals and we have family goals, etc. But do you have any spiritual goals? And I ask you, not every every year, but every every chance you get, make a spiritual goal. Stick to it and review it. You know, put yourself on this, 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 this chart, if you will, and continue in Christ Jesus. Have spiritual goals for your life. So here's what uh, what we ought not do. Verse 19 of Genesis 28. This is Jacob. And uh, he shows us something that we we can learn from. I'm going to go back to verse 18. I think we only have verse 19 on the screen. But So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that uh, he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. And he called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all of that uh, thou dost give me, I will surely give thee uh, ten. Um, God, if if you give me heaven on earth, then I'll serve you. That is not what, that's not going to happen. Right? Brethren, we're not making deals with God when we set spiritual goals. We're saying to the Lord, Lord, here I am, use me. Use me in the way that that you uh, see fit. I I don't have any terms nor conditions. Just use me in the way that you see fit. I want you to think about the church in that light. We look at the, the Anchorage congregation and ask yourselves, not, we're not talking about any other congregation, just the Anchorage congregation. Where are we going to be in 20 years? You know, the way where well, we're going to be in 20 years is where we are right now. What we plan right now is where we're going to end up. Because we're setting the course, right, in motion. So where we're we going to be in 20 years. Where are you spiritually, where are you individually going to be in 20 years? So here's a question I ask to ensure that. Uh, first of all, why don't we, when our grandchildren to have a place to worship in spirit and truth? Our great-grandchildren? I mean, it's, it's not thinking about me today. It's thinking about the future of the church. I want my grandchildren to have somewhere to worship God in spirit and in truth so that on my dying day, if it be that long, my great-grandchildren, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I can know for sure that my children have a place to know God and worship God in spirit and in truth. That means I have to do something today to ensure that happens in the future. It's an individual effort in our relationship to God. How can I help the elders? How can I help the deacons? How can I help one another, the members of the body of Christ, to make sure that in the future we are sound, we are strong, and we all are in love with Jesus Christ? It starts today, doesn't it? It starts right now. We've got to have a spiritual goal. We've got to work that goal, work that plan, and work it very well. How am I helping... The congregation to grow stronger, not weaker, but stronger. What am I doing? What am I personally, individually doing? And it's not something that has to be out in the limelight. You don't have to be out in the front. Just what are you doing to bless the church, to bless God, so that the future of this congregation is strong and vibrant, praising our God. Turn to Matthew, please, chapter 5. What am I prepared to do? That's a good question right in the greater service of god for the church for humanity for for the family of god for god himself what am i prepared to do what am i willing to do how faithful am i willing to be what's going to happen and you say preacher we don't know the future well i know that but we plan for everything else don't we we plan for everything else in our future do we plan for our spiritual lives and the spirituality of the church, that, brethren, we must do. What changes do I need to make to strengthen my own personal faith in relationship with the Lord? Do I have to wait for some tragic event to happen to turn my life around? Or can I just do it in my own free will? We can do it in our own free will. Right, what changes must I make? And you say, well, preacher, I'm taking inventory and I really don't know what changes I ought to make. Maybe you ought to ask someone. They'll tell you, right? You got to love your brother for that. They will tell you. You can ask your spouse. They'll tell you. What do I need to change? And make those changes. Make those changes for yourself individually and for the church collectively. And most of all, make those changes for the Lord. You are the salt, verse 13. salt is flavor. You know, this world is just, if you really see it, if you see it the way God sees it. So God sees the world as, as just, Second Peter tells us this, it's like vomit. It's it's pretty bland, it's disgusting. Well, it is, isn't it? But we have to see it through God's eyes. Do we see the world through God's eyes? See what it really is, what we've come out of, what we've been rescued from? It, it's really bland, it's really, really nothing to it. There's really nothing to Think about your world. You want about your life without God. There's really nothing to it. If you really think about it, you know, you do the same thing every day over and over and over again. And then you die. And then it's over. There's really nothing to it. But in Christ, you do things that bless the world, that bless God for eternity. That's a lot. And then when you die, you go on living. In eternity. That's huge. So he says, when God looks at the earth, what he sees is a bland place. It's like tasteless food. You know, you get a food, you get your plate, and you look at it, and you you taste it, and you go, mmm, it it needs something. So what do you do? You grab some kind of spice and add it to flavor the food. Brethren, that's what you are. You're the spice of the world. You are the salt of the earth and he goes on to say, but if the salt becomes tasteless, how will it be made salty again? See, God wants us to be the, that which brings good to the world. So you are the salt of the earth, the text says. If the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In other words, don't be worthless be worth something, right? Be the salt. Second uh, Corinthians 13 and verse 15, it tells about checking yourself. You know, it's that idea of, of looking into your own life, looking at yourself in verse 5, and it says, examine yourselves and see if you are in the faith. It's all about looking inwardly. And then once you look inwardly and you see who you are, then it's about working outwardly to fulfill God's work. To spread the gospel to a lost and dying world. Do you realize how desperately the world needs salt? That's you. You know how 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 the world feels in, in the darkness? The world needs light. That's you. And that's who we need to be in this year to come and for the rest of our lives. To be the light of the world. Let's think about for just a moment studying the scriptures. What does that really do? All right, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. What does that really actually do? To sit down and to study the scriptures and to get to know God better. What does it really actually do for me? When you look at the text in verse 15, it says, Study to show yourself approved to whom? Yeah. Not to man, but to God. Do you know study is a sacrifice? You know, you come home from work, you're tired. We all are. Now take the time to pick your Bible up, to not just read it, but to study it. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that pleases God. Because you are saying to God, God, I want to know what you want me to know. That's important. Think about coming home from work and your spouse has been with the children all day and, and she wants to talk to you and you come home and you say, look, I want no conversation, just complete and utter silence for the next two weeks. What would happen to your relationship? <laughs> right? Well, when we don't study, we're doing the same thing to God. Let God talk to you every single day. He's going to do it through his word. and If you study And you say, Lord, help me to know more about me. God will reveal to you the desires of your heart. But you've got to have faith. Study to show yourself approved. And the the new American standard says be diligent. In other words, be diligent in your study. Right? Be diligent in your study to, to show yourself approved unto God. And this is what God will do. He'll make you a workman who need to not be ashamed. The idea is to not be ashamed of who I am. A Christian. Child of God. Have, have I ever told you how I used to? I used to carry when I first became a Christian, and, and shortly after too. I don't remember how long, but for a while, you know, I was one of those, uh, you know, I hate to say this, I was one of those cool guys, you know. And so, when I became a Christian. It wasn't cool to carry a Bible, and so I'd carry it this way. I don't know if you can see it. The writings on one side, you know, it's the Holy Bible, and on the other side, it says nothing. And not that, it, not that they didn't know I was carrying a Bible, but it was just, you know, less conspicuous, if you will, because I was ashamed. Hadn't studied enough. You're thinking about your faith and you're wondering sometimes why do I feel ashamed? Maybe it's because I haven't studied it enough. Right? Because God makes you a workman who is not ashamed, and He gives you the ability to handle or write or to accurately handle the Word of God, to present it in spirit and in truth, and to make you strong. And don't take my word for it. Acts 17, please. In, in verse 11, don't take my word for it. When I'm finished, when this lesson is over on, on this evening and, and the weeks to come and lessons are presented to you somewhere else, don't take the preacher's word for it. Be like the Bereans. You go back and make sure that what the preacher said was true. You will not only help the preacher, you will help yourself. Right? It's all about God, you see. It's all about, it's all, everything's about God. And the the Bereans, even though the Apostle Paul You'd say, well, it's Paul, so it has to be right. No, it doesn't matter if it's Paul. You go back and study. The Bereans are more noble-minded than than uh, those at Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily, to see whether these things were so. To study of the Scriptures, to know God. How important it is to know God. I want us to uh, go into a lesson uh, pretty soon on knowing God and knowing God. I mean, do you actually know God? I mean, to know God, that's one thing. I mean, it's the same. But to, do you really know God? Do you know Him? You know, is, is, he, is he here? And, and that's really important to, to make sure. we People say, I know God all the time, but do they really know God? Or do we know of God? It's very different to know about God, to know of God, but to really know God. Even the Bible makes that clear. The Bible talks about knowledge, and then it talks about real knowledge. So Revelation 2 and verse 10. To know God means to set myself up in this life by the grace of God so that I ensure my future. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, be thou faithful until death. Revelation 2 verse 10. Be thou faithful until death. When I read Revelation 2, and I think about it, I, I think from a human uh, perspective and, and he's talking to the congregation and he says to the church of Smyrna, you, you're doing great. Keep up the good work. Now, now listen, don't fear, don't fear, but I, I need you to know that you're, you're about to suffer. Okay. And then the church said, all right, are right, we, you know, I'm, I'm a you know, member of the church of Smyrna and I said, okay, Lord, I don't, I don't know what that means, but I'm willing, I'm willing to suffer. Uh, and then, then he goes on and says, you know, you know the, 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 de- the devil, he's going to cast some of you into prison. Alright, um, okay, um, and I'm with my faith, gonna be tested. And I don't know if I'm, I really don't want to go to prison, but Lord, if that's where I need to be, then, then, then alright, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm willing to, to go with that, uh, you know. And you're gonna have tribulation, he says, ten days, and you say alright, so you start counting, you know, you count the days, I can do ten. Lord, I can do ten. But then when he, when he comes back and he says, be faithful unto death, sometimes we step back and say, well wait a minute, That's a little bit too far. But when you know God, when you know God, you trust Him. You trust Him. Because why else are you here anyway except to prepare for your death? Because all of us are going to die. Right? In the church of Smyrna, he said, be faithful until death and I'll give you a reward. I'll give you the crown of life. See, prepare your life now, your mind, your heart now for the day of your departure, whenever it will be. You know, in these last, uh, how many days since, since Saturday, in my, in my life that I know personally, there are four deaths. It's a lie. What's coming? Who knows? Be faithful until death, be submissive, right? James chapter uh, four. Be submissive. Be submissive to God, Lord God. Whatever you want from me. That's scary, though. It's scary to say, God, whatever your will is, whatever you want from me, then that's what I want, Lord. But can you say that seriously in your heart? Study, and it will help to get us to that point. Verse six: Being humble to God is power. The two, the two most uh, incredible incredibly strong, and incredible men on the earth, Moses, who brought to us the law of Moses, and, and God uh, uh, brought that law and salvation to the Jews, etc. And Jesus were also the two most humble people on the earth. Humility is power. So the Bible says in verse 6, But he gives a greater grace, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then down in verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. The book of Job deals a lot with humility. God says, humility is, that's the winner. Let's begin to kind of wrap this up. Do I have a zeal for the master? Do I have a zeal for the master? How about a zeal of forgiveness? That's How how am I doing Uh, in Mark chapter 12? 29 through 31, you know, hear, O Israel, the foremost, you know, love your God, Lord God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. How am I doing with that? And then to love your neighbor as you love yourself, how am I doing with that? Is there anyone that you need to forgive? Is there anyone that you need to work on your love towards? I mean, it's tough. Love is tough, right? To love your enemy, that's tough. To love someone that uh, it really doesn't have your best interest at heart, that's tough. How are you doing with that? How how are we doing with with forgiveness in our lives? How's your prayer life, Matthew 6? What's your prayer life about? You know, when Jesus says, you know, don't don't go out and pray in public and and make long prayers. No, do it in in private. Let your prayer be something between, between you and God. How is your prayer life? How often are you praying throughout the day? Your prayer life. How do you enjoy, how much do you enjoy talking to God? You know, one of the things I I, uh, did a little little research and and talking to uh, people, you know, you you wonder, you know, your prayer life, um, you know, how long do you pray? What do you you pray about? You know what you learn? You learn that people don't really like long prayers, personal long prayers, because they don't know what to say to God, because you don't know Him. Right? I mean, I mean, think about it. You come into a stranger and it's, it's small talk, right? It's, How are you? Great. Oh, this, you know, it's a beautiful day today. And, yeah, well, and you know, small talk. But someone you really know, it's a different kind of conversation. This, this year I'm asking you to really review your heart and then think about your prayer life and the words that you have for God of praise, the words of supplication. Think about the words of thanksgiving you have for God. Think about your relationship with God. Do you really know God? And do you enjoy talking to Him? And do you believe? Do you believe that He is listening to every word that you echo? And then as you pray to God, uh, James uh, 5 and verse 16, uh, are you praying for others as well? Another joyful thing. God, I, I can talk to you, not only not only about me, about myself and our relationship, but God, I can talk to you about other people. And I want to pray, Lord God, to you for for so-and-so, for this situation and for that. And, you know, what's your prayer life like? How long do you get to talk to God? How much do you enjoy praying to God? That's a good question. That's a great question. It's a powerful question. I want to close in Philippians chapter four, please. Pray for yourself. Pray with this relationship to God and then and pray for others. In fact, pray about everything. There's a lot to pray about. There are a lot of things to pray for, there are a lot of people to pray for, there are a lot of situations to pray for. There's a future to pray for. There's heaven to pray for. There's a hell to shun to pray for. There's a God fix me. You know what? one of my favorite things to say in prayer? I shouldn't tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. God protect me from me. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about me. Protect me from me. From myself. You ought to pray that. You ought to think about that. Because I am the one standing in the way God using me the way he wants to use me. I am the one keeping myself out of heaven. I am the one that I'm struggling with more than anyone else. Protect me from me, from myself. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. In supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Some woman says to me, I don't know what to pray about. And I say, start talking about the things you worry about. You'll be in prayer all night. Maybe to men too. Be anxious for nothing. Just keep on praying. When you don't know what to do, just pray about it. When you know what to do, pray about it. When you think you know what to do, pray about it. Just keep on praying. Pray to God. Pray to God. Pray to God. And look at what prayer does. It does something to the atmosphere of your mind. It brings peace. It brings a different kind of peace. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 27, The peace I give is not like the world gives. It brings a different kind of peace. And the different kind of peace is found in verse 7. The peace of God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's the kind of peace that is a deliverance. It's a deliverance. Because Jesus says in John 11, 24, when you pray, pray believing that what you pray for is already done. So there's this deliverance. There's this thing that says to me, Lord, I've given it to you. I know it's done. Thank you. Thank you. And then I can march on, living for Jesus, not thinking about that prayer. I already know God's going to take care of it. I have faith. So then you say, God increase my faith. Comes right back to study, right? Comes right back to study. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. I hope something was said to encourage you, to strengthen you, to to bless you, to bless each of us, that we might do better and continue on in the Lord. We can always do better every year. God help us to do better. Help us to remain the same. Help us to continue on. And let's remember to pray for those who have some serious hardships in their lives, right now, remember them. Remember them sincerely in your prayer life. Members of the body of Christ, even those that are out without the body of Christ. Tonight, if you're a child of God, we encourage you to remain faithful and true. And if you would like prayers made on your behalf, the elders will certainly pray for you and pray with you. If you're not a member of the body of Christ, we invite you tonight to surrender to God in the waters of baptism, that your sins might be washed away, that you can remember one thing for sure, that God will remember your sins no more. Tonight, if we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.